Psychology in Seattle. Hey, deserving listeners. In this episode, I'm going to talk about narcissistic personality disorder and also domestic violence or intimate partner violence. I get a lot of emails about narcissism, borderline, and relationship difficulties. But I think this uh, email uh, presents something that I haven't really uh, talked about on the podcast before, and it's something that I've treated a lot in my practice, which is the uh, relationship situation in which someone is being very domineering and emotionally abusive, and the victim of that abuse is starting to emerge Uh, from that abuse and understand and see it for what it is, which is abusive, and how personality disorders often play a role in all of this. And this emailer has a very interesting question because, you know, on this podcast, I often promote uh, empathy for everyone, including people with narcissistic personality disorder. And what she's asking is, uh, you know, I I, I think my husband has narcissistic personality disorder, but uh, and from your podcast, it sounds like I'm supposed to have empathy, but at the same time, I, I, I want to leave this person. And so uh, let's get into that. But first, let's introduce the podcast. This is called Psychology in Seattle, and I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda, and I'm a therapist and a professor. All right, let's read the email from this anonymous patron. She writes, Slowly over the last few months of therapy, I have come to realize that my husband is emotionally abusive to me. It has gotten progressively worse over time with him and significantly worse since we had a baby a year ago. I went to therapy thinking everything was my fault and that there was clearly something wrong with me. By talking it out with my therapist, I have realized that my husband has been emotionally abusing me and making me feel like everything was my fault and making me feel like something was wrong with me. We have been trying, me and my husband have been trying to do couples counseling as well with a different therapist, but he has been resistant and he continues to blame me for everything. Now, I realize I'm not perfect. I have contributed to our problems and I take responsibilities for those things, but he refuses to take responsibility for his actions. I have become a bit stronger now, so I am not willing to take on that responsibility for him anymore, and he does not appreciate that. At our last couple session, uh, about a month ago, month and a half ago, the therapist asked each of us where we were at as far as commitment to the relationship. He has always been more hesitant about answering this question positively, and I was always saying I was 100% committed. This time, though, I said I just needed to think about it more. He was calm in the session, but lost it when we were alone. He blamed the therapist for getting us divorced instead of helping and was angry and emotional towards me for four days. He even gave a veiled threat of taking our daughter away. And he kept yelling at me and controlling me like he was trying to keep me from leaving the house. Our next session with the couple's counselor is next week, and I'm planning to tell him that I want a divorce. I am scared of his reaction but my individual therapist is taking me through a safety plan just in case he has a bad reaction. Because of the fear, I go back and forth about whether or not to leave, even though I know that it is the right choice and it is what is best for everyone in the long run. Now, I think he might have narcissistic personality disorder, 
And I appreciate you advocating for people with narcissistic personality disorder and other personality disorders. But I find that sometimes listening to you talk about it makes me think that I should stay with him and try to help him get better instead of leaving him. My therapist has said that I need to think more about myself and my well-being. End of email. Okay, so first off, you deserve to be safe. Everyone deserves to be safe. It sounds like you are not safe. It definitely sounds like you're being abused. You, he is doing all the classic abusive behaviors. He's controlling of you, not letting you leave the house. That's high-level abuse right there. Making you feel like everything's your fault, making you feel like you're worthless, breaking your uh, ego down, uh, acting like everything is fine in front of other people, and then blasting you outside of therapy. That's a classic emotionally abusive behavior. I've treated couples like the two of you. I've treated people like you. I've treated people like him. And I'm well aware of that syndrome. And it is not cool. It's immoral to make you feel that way. And uh, what he is doing is wrong. And you deserve to not have that happen to you. There's nothing wrong with him feeling sad or worried or desperate. There is definitely something wrong and immoral about him hurting your feelings on purpose. So that's what I will say first off. Second, um, I'm not sure he has narcissistic personality disorder. It's possible, but he sounds in my book better conceptualized as having borderline personality disorder and possibly psychopathy, uh, psychopathic personality or antisocial personality, at least a dash of it anyway. But it could be explained by a high-end borderline. Uh, now, both narcissism and borderline come from pretty much the same place. It just there's it, we're you know relational relational trauma uh, early in life r- results in the need for the personality to develop a coping mechanism for that, a very elaborate one that is personality based and not cognitive based, and. Uh, narcissism and borderline are, are actually very close. In fact, I've recently stopped distinguishing between the two. Uh, it, one of the problems in my field and in our society is that we tend to look at men as being narcissistic and women as being borderline, even in the exact same presentation. And the fact is, is that they're so close that it doesn't really matter when we distinguish between the two. I treat people with NP, I, I treat narcissistic people the same as I treat borderline people. It's the same relational corrective experience that needs to be performed. Um, and people rarely fit neatly into those categories anyway. So it, it, to me, um, just for listeners out there, just know that, um, you know, it, the distinguish the distinction between narcissism and borderline isn't very strong. Now, if you look on the internet, uh, the distinction is very strong because you know narcissistic people are into themselves, and borderline people are constantly yelling at everyone. And both of those characterizations are wrong. Deep down, narcissistic people are deeply suffering in exactly the same way that borderline people are. But either way, it's clear he has been relationally traumatized, and he has the following schemas, seemingly. Number one, uh, the you know number one schema is people are undependable, 
meaning that deep down he worries that people will leave him and he clings to people because he's afraid that people are going to leave him. Men are socialized to cling through control and women are socialized to cling through guilt and shame and by um, uh, being emotional and, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, he's definitely clinging and uh, it's probably the result of a schema of him believing that people are independable and that people are going to abandon him. Two, schema is people are harmful uh, emotionally or physically. So it's likely he went through uh, some kind of abuse growing up and he believes that he needs to protect himself from others because they're likely to hurt him. He probably believes you're emotionally abusive to him. And that's because his schema distorts reality to make it seem that way to him. And his way of coping with that is to hurt you first, which is one of the coping styles to that schema. He has the third schema, seemingly based on your description, in which he believes that people just don't really care about him, uh, meaning that he deep down probably, probably agrees with statements like, I've never had a consistent person to depend on for advice or emotional support. And he probably deep down agrees with the statement that generally speaking, no one has ever really been there to meet his emotional needs. And his way of coping with that is to struggle with on the precipice between desperately trying to get his emotional needs met through other people. And he has deep emotional needs because he's probably been emotionally neglected his entire life. Um, you know, before he even met you. So he's probably trying to meet this. This schema is motivating him to desperately reach out in abusive ways or completely avoid uh, attachments because that's, you know, that's that, that those, those are the two coping styles that are only really available to people with that schema. He probably has the fourth schema of believing that he is defective deep down both borderline and narcissistic people and histrionic people deep down believe they are extremely defective, meaning that he probably agrees with statements like, you know, deep down, there's something wrong with me. This is, again, a result of being treated that way growing up, and the self has to cope with it somehow, and they develop that notion. Borderline people have this notion in more in their conscious mind. Narcissistic people try to suppress the notion that they are defective by having a veil of grandiosity and narcissism and entitlement on top of that. He probably has the 10th schema as well in which he believes that he can get what he wants and that he has trouble accepting no for an answer and he gets irritable when he doesn't get what he wants. So he was likely socialized or raised or in such a way or modeled behavior in such a way that he developed this notion that he deserves to get what he wants, the way that a young child will dip into this entitlement, you know, that two-year-olds will exhibit sometimes. They, you know, the two-year-old wants to play with all the toys and won't share any of the toys with anyone else. The two-year-old wants the cookie now and doesn't care if they, um, you know, have to yell at you to get that cookie. It's a normal phase that children will go through that if they're treated well enough, they will graduate from to a more nuanced understanding of their specialness in the universe. When you're mistreated, you retain that specialness sometimes, and he, he appears to have that. And that's what, that's what would lend itself to the narcissism part. But it's not like people with borderline don't necessarily have that as well. So 
so that's the schema. So you ask some questions here. You say, I guess I'm asking if you can explain to me how to have empathy for someone like my husband and still think about taking care of myself at the same time. Yes, you can do both. You can have empathy while taking care of yourself. There are people in my life who suffer from these exact schemas and do these exact coping mechanisms um, and who are very harmful. But I, and, and I have tremendous empathy for them, but they can be extremely harmful to me, and so I draw boundaries. And sometimes I choose not to see them at all. So empathy doesn't mean destroying the self. Caring about someone else and understanding where they're coming from does not mean self-sacrifice. Uh, you know, having empathy for someone else's condition does not mean martyrdom. Uh, you know, I still care, but I'm not going to destroy myself in the process uh, for these people. And it's sort of a contradiction because it's like, well, I care about this person, but I'm going to hurt this person by rejecting them. And you know that's because in situa- some situations for me and i recommend you contemplate this dilemma is well how much benefit am i really going to do for this person if i let's just say i go full self sacrifice am i really going to solve this person's problems um no i'm probably not in fact i'm positive i'm not uh at what cost would that be to get some benefit to him. Well, I'm going to eliminate myself. I'm going to destroy my life. Okay, so let's do another equation or another calculation here. Let's say that I hurt his feelings now, and he's going to not take it well. This is not going to go well for him. It's going to be, he's going to be uh, devastated. He's even threatened suicide before. This is not going to go well for him, for him. It's also not going to go necessarily well for me. It's a big transition. It's going to be hard to divorce, all all that kind of stuff. It's going to be hard for the kid to live in two separate homes, that kind of thing. But in the end, I will be much better off because I'm going to be not abused anymore. My kid won't have to witness this abuse anymore. Also, my kid will not have to live with an abused mother uh, my kid will live with a mother who has much more resources to parent the, my, you know, that child. That kid's going to benefit tenfold by the amount of resources I will have available to me, given that I won't be constantly depleted by my spouse. My spouse will likely get over it, and maybe this is a wake-up call to him that he can finally get the help that he needs. It's not unheard of. You know, like... So in conclusion, it's totally possible to have empathy for someone who is suffering from a relational trauma condition and also um, preserve the self. You know, I feel terrible for Donald Trump, depending on your politics. (laughs) Uh, But and as I've laid out in other episodes, I cannot diagnose him from afar. I only know what's available on the Internet. But it a lot of arrows are pointing towards him suffering from relational traumas that have resulted in him having a coping style of uh, being narcissistic, meaning that he has to put on this um, fake persona of always being sure of himself, always being the center of attention, needing constant accolades, uh, positive accolades, because just below the surface is this vast sea of suffering 
I've never seen that sea of suffering. I've never seen an inkling of it, really. But I see all the signs. Um, and uh, I have tremendous empathy for him. I feel terrible for him. I could be wrong about my conceptualization of his personality. Who knows? But either way, I have tremendous empathy. I care about Donald Trump as a human being. Um, whenever I see people attacking him, I think, you know, pers- there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with attacking his politics. There's nothing wrong with criticizing his decisions as a, as a politician. I, I do feel bad for him. I felt bad for George W. I, you know, absolutely felt bad for Barack Obama. I feel bad for all celebrities when people attack them viciously, personally. Um, I have empathy for that. Uh, but I don't think I would want to hang out with these people. <laughs> you know, I, I feel bad for Trump, but I, I don't think I would want to hang out with him. I wouldn't want to be married to him. Uh, so there's a huge difference between care and empathy and what is good for me. You ask another question here. What is the likelihood that someone who has a significant number of narcissistic personality traits would be willing to get help for it if a loved one helps them versus if they are on their own? So basically, you're, you're, in this, you're asking this question. You're like, um, should I stay so that I can actually convince him to get help for his problems and then everyone wins? You know, um, He wins because he gets better. He gets the help he needs. I win because he's a nicer guy. My kid wins because he has a, you know, my kid has a better father. You know, should I stay, you know, what's the likelihood that I can actually get him to, um, to open up and start working on himself? Um, or should I just leave him and, you know, hope that he gets the help that he needs? Um, this is your call. There's, there's no way to anyone, including your individual therapist, can tell you the answer to this question. But I will tell you my experience. I've seen both. I've been with people, like I said, in your situation. Many, many people are in your position. Many uh, men and women and otherwise are um, currently in your situation. Many listeners right now probably can relate to what, you've, what you're talking about. Um, I've also worked with a lot of people in, in his position. And I've also worked with a lot of couples in both of your, you know, working with couples like you. Um, and I have worked and I've seen it all. I've seen people break up. I've seen people not. I've seen people try to help. I've seen people, you know, do all sorts, you know, the, the sky's the limit in terms of the possibilities. Um, I will tell you that it is possible for him to get better. I, I Not too long ago, I had a client who uh, was in a very similar situation to you, you know, almost identical, really. And... Um, we talked about her relationship and it, we both determined over time collaboratively that her husband was emotionally abusive and in almost the same way that yours was and, and seemingly had a, almost the same personality and same schemas and same relational traumas. And I can't, uh, you know, I can't lie to you in my heart. I really wanted her to leave him because I cared about my client and I didn't want her to be emotionally abused anymore. But I knew better than to act on that countertransference, and I stuck to my position with her by saying that um, it, it it's up to her, and that I don't know the best answer. Um, and although I would support her in leaving him, I would also support her in staying with him. It was harder for me to support her staying with him, but it was possible. And I and I, but I wanted to leave it in her hands. Uh, one of the worst things a therapist can do is start to overpower that sort of decision. 
Uh, one, it rarely works. You know, ther- clients rarely just comply with their therapist. Um, two, it's just it's just sort of ignorant of reality for a therapist to believe that they know the answers to, to those questions. Um, you know, the therapist in Big Little Lies did this all the time. You know, you, sh- you need to leave. And it's very – it's just awful to watch. I know a lot of people think that's what therapy is supposed to be like. And a lot of therapists, frankly, are that way. But it, it's just ridiculous. Um, and just incidentally, there's countertransference that therapists will feel because um, the client who is being abused will often have – uh, schemas that involve them feeling really bad about themselves that predated them being in a relationship with their current partner. And through projective identification, listen to all my other episodes on that concept, the the, the therapist starts to develop these countertransferential notions that they need to actually take over the client's life. And they have all these urges to like give advice, very strong advice. And sometimes even to the point where the therapist has, has an urge and actually acts on it as being sort of hostile and um, emotionally abusive to the client, you know, by saying things like, I can't believe you're still with him. What's wrong with you that you're still with him? Kind of giving that impression. That's just continuing the emotional abuse. The, the therapist is now emotionally abusing the client for staying in an emotionally abusive relationship. So a corrective experience with clients like that is to uh, not is to recognize that kind of transference, to recognize how the client is trying to recreate that relationship with you, and to try to bolster the client's self-esteem and their own assertiveness their, and their own power. And that means that you as a therapist cannot say what you think is best for them, because as soon as you put that out there, the, there's a temptation for both you and the client to sort of give in to that dynamic where you're controlling the the, ther- the client. So you have to continue to have that um, space where you're just like, well, it's up to you. You know, you're competent, you're smart. Um, what do you want to do? Uh, that's you're in control of that. Um, and I, I get the sense you want to know my opinion on it, but I, I, it would be untherapeutic for me to even tell you because, or even have an opinion because, um, the point of this whole therapy thing is that you have the power and you connect with your inner power and you connect with what you want and you you figure out how to please your needs, how to meet your needs. It's uh, Therapy is not about, especially for someone like you, therapy is not about uh, me, uh, you coming to me and me telling you what to do and you doing it. That That just keeps you in that spot of you not connecting with your inner authority. So anyway, I've worked with people like you before, and uh, with this past client that I worked with, um, she decided to stay, uh, even though, again, the human side of me really wanted her to leave because she was being treated really badly. And she decided to stay, and I supported that. And they went to couples therapy, and it was going just the way you're describing it, where he wasn't taking responsibility, um, and uh, she was, and she didn't like that. But over time... Uh, and he went to individual – and eventually he went to individual – this is all over many years of therapy. Eventually he goes to individual therapy and she learns how to uh, you know, put up boundaries. She stops putting up with his abuse. She would recognize the abuse right away and would assert herself and she was really good at it. You know, He would start to lay into her and, he would, and she would say, you're, you're starting to be emotionally abusive and I'm not going to take it anymore. So – um, I'm either going to leave the house because I know sometimes you can't control yourself or you're just going to have to stop. 
And she was beautiful at it. At the same time, she would say things like, I love you and I care about you and I want you to get better. Um, so uh, I'll be here for you when you calm down. So it wasn't like this universal rejection thing. She was like, I'm committed to this marriage. I want it to work. And um, you know what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to draw boundaries. He's going to continue to be bad to me, but I, I now see it for what it is and I don't take it personally or at least not as personally as I used to. And I get support. I go to therapy. I talk with other people about it. I know we can talk about it in couples therapy You know, once that comes up. And over time, he got better. He got the help he needed. He started to see things differently. He began to see his part in the emotional abuse. Um, I, I've treated couples. I've treated couples in situations like this before and successfully had the perpetrators reduce their abusive behavior to almost nothing. Um, there's this knee-jerk reaction in our society and some people in my field where it's like uh, when abuse is happening, the only answer is to divorce and the only answer is to um, you know get away from that person. Uh, I'm not going to say that because that's just not my experience. Now, people have absolutely the, you know, you listener absolutely have the right to leave your husband <laughs> It, it sounds like you've decided that you want a divorce and you, it sounds like you believe that it, that's best for everyone. And that is your decision. And no one can take that away from you. You are the only one who has the power to know the answer to that question. And it sounds like you've made that decision. And, um, you know, I support that. Having said that, I've worked with people who have actually done that. Now, that for They've stayed in the relationship and and um, facilitated and and you know been an adjunct to the to their husbands or their you know their spouses therapy. And uh, now that's not without its cost, right? Because you're going to continue for probably years to incur some level of abuse from your spouse because it's going to take them years to recover. It takes it takes forever. <laughs> it takes a long time. The amount of uh, relational trauma and attachment injury that. Uh, these sorts of people experienced early in life is so great, um, resulting in such an extreme and self-destructive and other people destructive coping style uh, that it really does necessitate a lot of therapy and a long time. And it's and it and the tendency to be emotionally abusive probably never goes away. Um, and uh, so it's not even like at best you're you're not going to see a complete elimination of that behavior. So it's your call, and I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to say that it is possible to stay and have it work out, um, but you're the only one who knows the answer to that question. Is it worth it? Are you willing to do that? Now, I will say that he is not at the point, given your description, where he's ready to work on it. Um, according to your description, he's never admitted that he plays a part in it. He's never admitted that he needs to work on himself, Um He's 100% convinced that it's only your fault, and so at least on the surface. And so there's a pretty big leap from that state of, of him to admitting he has a problem and, and trying to work on it. Because even once he, even if he did admit he, he had a problem, he would vacillate for a number of months where sometimes he would believe that, yes, he is, he is part of the problem. And uh, again, returning to that narcissistic entitlement uh, mode of believing it's everyone else's fault. So, uh, so he's he's pretty far from 
the space where you can even begin to have some optimism about him recovering and being a less abusive person. So I just want to point that out. Uh, You also ask, do you think it's sometimes okay to not have empathy for an abusive person? Yes, absolutely. It's absolutely okay for you to not have empathy for someone who's being abusive. Um, The other thing here is that, you know, when I have empathy for personality disorders, for narcissistic personality disorder in in particular, um, I'm not saying that... uh, well, one thing to consider is that not all narcissistic personality disorder people are abusive. In fact, um, let's estimate, I don't know, half maybe. Uh, it, a lot of people suffer from narcissism. Are, are, we wouldn't call them abusive. Let's just put it that way. They might be mean at times. They might be over, they're going to be overreactive a lot. But they're, they're not necessarily what we would call abusive. Um, so... Uh, so when I'm talking about narcissistic personality disorder, now on the internet, uh, they the internet believes narcissistic personality disorder people and borderline people they're always abusive. Well, that's just not that's just not true. So, so yeah, is it okay to have empathy? Uh, is it okay to not have empathy for him? Yeah, that is that is your right. You don't have to have empathy for anyone if you 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 can give your empathy to whoever you want to. Now. I'm a therapist, and in my belief system, in, in my philosophy of therapy, it's not okay for me to not have empathy for him. It's not okay for me not to have empathy for politicians. It's not okay for me to not have empathy for abuse perpetrators. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a healer. And it'd sort of be like saying to a surgeon, um, you know, is it okay for a surgeon to be afraid of blood or to be afraid of looking at the inside of someone's body? You know, it's okay. I'm not a surgeon. Is it okay for me to be afraid of looking at blood and staring into someone's body when it's opened up? Yes, it's okay for me to be afraid of that. It's okay for me to not prefer that. It's okay for me to say, I don't, for the rest of my life, want to look at blood or the inside of someone's body. I, I just don't want to, it freaks me out. I'm not necessarily like that, but I have that right to say. If I'm a surgeon, I don't have that right. I either have to uh, change that personality trait about myself, or I need to not be a surgeon. I'm a therapist. I don't have the right to reserve empathy. I don't have the right to reserve um, positive regard. Now, I know a lot of therapists out there might disagree with me, and um, that's fine, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty adamant about that. And I tell my students that. Obviously, I can't uh, get into my supervisees' heads and my, my students' heads, and, I can't, and I'm not going to kick them out of the program or I'm not going to report them to the ethics board if they don't have positive regard for Donald Trump. But um, I'm pretty strong about that. I'm pretty firm about that because uh, if you are going to heal people, as a therapist, you have to heal everybody who comes into your office. You can't say, well, I'm going to care about people whom I prefer. You can't say, I'm going to, I'm going to heal people who um, I like to hang out with or something. Perpetrators of abuse are some of the most damaged individuals on the planet. And if we don't have empathy and positive regard for them, then who will have empathy and positive regard for them? Nobody. And 
if we are going to make the world a better place, we have to help those perpetrators. And that begins with empathy and positive regard. And I'm not talking about fake positive regard. I'm talking about in your bones, in your soul, in your heart, you have empathy and love and positive regard for those perpetrators. So, listener, you have the right, because you're not a surgeon, you don't have to look inside people's body, maybe you're a surgeon, but if you're not, you're not a therapist, you don't have to have empathy or positive regard for people who are abusive, but I do. And so when I talk about having empathy for people with narcissistic personality disorder or, or empathy for people who are abusive, I'm not saying you're supposed to be that way. Uh, you, you, have, you can do whatever you want, uh, but I can't according to the way I see the world. I really hope that um, one, like I said, first off, you deserve to be safe. I'm glad you're seeing a therapist. I'm glad you have a safety plan. Uh, I, I, I'm really happy about all that. Let me know how things go. Um, you deserve to never be abused again for the rest of your life. There is nothing that justifies that. There's nothing that justifies the behaviors that you're describing. Not at all. Uh, you deserve way, way better than that. Um, so uh, let me know how things go. All right. I wanted to end the show by shouting out some of our higher level patrons. This is James. <laughs> this is, we got James. We got Joel. We got Tony, Claudia, Andra. Nerd Counselor, uh, which I know who you are, Nerd Counselor. I recognize your face. Uh, Christine, Denisa, A- Angel, or Angel, uh, I think it's Angel. Uh, Malika, good old Malika. Sanella, Jordan, good old Jordan. Junie, good old Junie. Marie, good old, good old Marie. Laura, Aileen, good old Aileen. Danielle, good old Danielle. Lily, Nia, know you, Nia. Sarah, pretty sure I know you. Tasha, know you very well. Dana, Hannah, Kathleen, Carol, Victoria, Wendy, Amanda, Ellie, another Dana, Megan, Chrissy, Alexander, Desiree, Brooke, Carrie, and Tammy. Uh, Thank you so much for being a $10 patron. You are greatly appreciated. At that level, you get a card in the mail with some swag. Uh, So do that if you become an uh, upper-level patron that's one of the best ways we know that you really care about this podcast. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. If you want to let me know your thoughts, go to the website, psychologyinseattle.com, fill out the Contact Us page, and let me know. Share your stories. And please take care of yourself because you deserve it. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.